Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. If you're a visitor, we hope you come back any opportunity that you have the opportunity to be here. Um, We're going to continue a series we've been working on uh, over the lives of the apostles. I, uh, I asked to give this lesson because this is the one I think I relate the most to. I would like to say I relate to Peter or Paul or somebody like that, but I, I just can't relate to having that kind of gift of boldness and speech. But the one I relate to more is ordinary. He's just an ordinary guy. Andrew the Ordinary. You know, whenever I was putting this lesson together, I struggled with that title. Because in today's society, or ordinary has such a negative connotation with it. It's like it's bad to be ordinary. Everybody wants to be extraordinary. Everybody wants to be special. And it also points out that maybe the other apostles weren't so ordinary. And they were. They were ordinary men. They just had different gifts than what Andrew did. Andrew was just an ordinary guy, like me or you. You know, in 1983, there was a group of ordinary players that played for the University of North Carolina State, coached by Jimmy Valvano. And they came up against Five Slamma Jamma, the most unstoppable basketball team that college basketball had to offer. Everybody was figuring it would be a 40-point game. Well, NC State ended up winning that game. And later on, Jimmy Valvano, Valvano gave many speeches. And in one of the speeches that I've seen him give, he was talking about ordinary people. And he said, God must have loved ordinary people because he created so many of us. You know, so many of us are ordinary. So many of us don't necessarily have the talent of a Peter or a Paul. We're just kind of ordinary. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'll get to the end of his speech at the end of my sermon, but he said, God loved ordinary people because he created so many. And when you look, get right, right down to it, everybody's ordinary. We just have different talents. And the talent that Andrew had, he gave to God. It wasn't like he held it back. Every talent God gave him, Andrew used to glorify God. And we're going to look at some of the scriptures that talk about Andrew and see how we can learn from this ordinary man about how we can serve God as ordinary people. First of all, Andrew was born on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. Everything I've read on this city, Bethesda, is how I've heard it's pronounced, I'm not sure. Bethesda. Everything about that city was, was kind of a country, kind of a country-like city. It was out in the country. It was on a plain, but it was right there on the coast. So fishing was a big part of its economy. Andrew was a fisherman. That's what he did for a living. Ordinary job. He wasn't some great leader in the community. He was a fisherman. He just had an ordinary job. Went to work every day with his brother, and they fished. That's what they did. That's how they made their living. Just like we go to a job every day and make a living, that's what Andrew did. Kind of ordinary. He wasn't the governor. He wasn't really, doesn't say that he was highly respected in that city. He was just a fisherman in that city. But there was one thing that was different about John. Not John, Andrew. He was an apostle of John, the a disciple of John the Baptist. He had decided to, fo to follow John the Baptist. 
If you look in John chapter 1 and verse 35, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, he said, he walked and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and said, and said, seeing following, said to them, what do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, which is to say, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So before, even, before Jesus even came on the scene, Andrew was following the teachings of John the Baptist. He was following the teachings of God through what John the Baptist had been preaching. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. And whenever John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, Andrew was standing there. Now, was Andrew skeptical about this? Are you telling me that's really the Son of God coming? I don't think he was, because if you read the very next verse, he first found his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. He went, first thing he did was run and tell his brother. He didn't, he wasn't skeptical. He's like, no, I'm going to go run and tell my brother. I'm going to go find my brother and let him know we found the Messiah. He wasn't prideful about it because his brother ended up being Simon Peter. One of Jesus' most trusted apostles. You know, he said, you know what? I know Peter. He's going to outshine me in this thing. I'm just going <laughs> to leave him over there by himself and just follow Jesus and my, let Peter do his own thing. But he didn't. He goes, you know what? I have a brother that can serve Christ too. And he can serve him in a different way that I can, baby. But I'm going to run and go tell him about this Jesus I found, this Messiah. He wasn't worried about how he was going to look compared to his brother. You know, sibling rivalry is a big thing in this country. I want to look better than my brother. I want to be the one that's lifted up. I don't want to be the one that said, oh, yeah, he's the brother of Simon Peter. I want him to go, He's the brother of Andrew. <laughs> Simon Peter's the brother of Andrew. That's how I want it to be looking like. You know, my name is Jeremy Andrew. My dad named me after Jeremiah because of the prophet that stood alone and then Andrew, the ordinary guy. That's what he told me. And I'm like, well, thanks, Dad. You, you set really high expectations for me. I appreciate that. But the problem is we get wrapped so much in being at the top of the list. We don't use our talents the way God wants us to because we're so wrapped up in moving ahead of the person in front of us. I want to be better than them. You know, Andrew never asked, can I sit on the right or left hand of Jesus in paradise? Andrew never brought that up. That was brought up by two of the bolder apostles. Andrew just said, I just want to follow you. Use me the way you can. Use me to do whatever I can do for you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go get you somebody that I know will follow you and do great work for you. I'm going to go get you my brother. And then I'm going to spend the rest of my life following you, doing what I can. Well, after this first meeting with Jesus, Jesus leaves. And according to the Bible, it doesn't say if um, Andrew and Peter go with him at this point. Most historians believe they don't because of what happens in Matthew 4. 
And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, while some historians say they met Jesus, and then he went on, and they stayed there for a while working, and then they came back, I six one, half a dozen the other to me. Jesus called them. He called them, and they left immediately. They didn't say, oh, man, I, got, I really got to make some more money before I go. Can we just stay here, fish a little bit longer, make some money? They left their nets and followed him. Two ordinary guys, a fisherman, not leaders of the community. Not somebody that people in the community might really be able to get behind and follow. But they left immediately. And as I want you to know, we always assume, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We always ascribe that to Peter, but Andrew was there too. Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, in plural. Not just Peter, but Andrew, his brother as well. A lot of times when we talk about Peter, we talk about fishers of men. But I want you to know, Andrew was a fisher of men as well. It wasn't just Peter. Peter may be the one we know the most about of the two brothers. But it wasn't just Peter that Jesus said, I'm going to make you you a fisher of men. It was his brother too. In Mark 13, then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat at the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, saying, Tell us when these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Andrew was there at this point. He was there at the point where Jesus was telling them about the destruction of Israel, about the destruction of the temple. And he had a private conversation with these men. Andrew was in the inner circle of Christ. He could sit with Christ privately just as Peter's brother could, just as, just as John could, just as James could. Jesus didn't differentiate between his apostles. He didn't say, okay, you're just ordinary. You stay over here while I talk to the guys that are really leading the charge. He didn't do that. Being ordinary wasn't a bad thing to Christ, as long as you were willing to use what talent you had for him. What little talent you have, are you willing to give it to Christ? He'll let you in his inner circle. He does not have, okay, you have to do this much before you can get in, or this much before you get in. Maybe just a little bit more. Give me a little bit more. All he asks is all you have. And if all you have is a little bit, he's asking for the little bit. If what you have is a lot, he's asking for a lot. But he's not asking you anything you can't give. You know, I used to spray bugs with my dad whenever I was uh, about 20, 21 years old. And I saw something in the house that really kind of shocked me. (laughs) I guess I might have been naive at the time or, well, I know I was naive at the time, but this one really put me, it put me back. I was spraying a lady's house, and she had one of those nice coffee tables that had the glass that protected the wood. And in between the uh, glass that protected the wood, there was some sort of things from church. Or church. I go, well, what is that? And she goes, well, when I commit this sin, I have to do this many things to get forgiven for that. Or if I commit this sin, I have to do this to get forgiven of that. Jesus has never had that. 
All he asks is that you follow him and use your talents for him. He doesn't ask you to make some sort of repayment for your sins. That you have to do so many things for him before he'll forgive you. He just asks you to come to him. And Andrew did that. And Andrew asked him questions about things that he didn't understand. You know, how many times when we don't understand something, do we try to figure it out ourselves and get in trouble? Andrew didn't understand what this saying meant. So he asked Jesus, he goes, how do we know this thing's going to happen? How do we know when this is going to happen? He talked to Jesus. We need to do that as well. We need to talk. We don't just need to follow, but we need to talk to Jesus through prayer. In John 6, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said, Philip, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Andrew was there when Jesus fed the multitude. And he's even the guy that noticed, hey, that kid has five loaves of bread and two fish. But then he realized, what's that going to be with so many people? (laughs) How is this going to work? And then he saw the power of Jesus. And as as I can search through the Bible, this was the last time Andrew had any questions about the power of Jesus. Maybe that made an impact on him whenever they were done feeding the many and they came back with leftovers. (laughs) Maybe that was enough to prove that Jesus had the power to do what he said he could do. But you never heard Andrew question anything about like, like that ever again. What are these among so many people? But do you know what this also tells me? That Andrew was trying to do what Jesus said, even if he was trying to figure something out. How is this going to work? What are we going to do to do this? Because Jesus said, we need to feed these people. And Andrew was trying to find a solution to the problem. But once he found the solution, he's like, well, how are we going to make this work? How is this going to, go? how is this going to happen? According to Fox's Books of Martyrs, Andrew was the brother of Peter. He preached the gospel to many Aztec nations, but on his arrival to Assetia, he was taken and crucified on a cross, the two ends of which were fixed transversely in the ground. Hence the derivation of the term St. Andrew's Cross. And if you want to know what that looks like, it's that X-shaped cross right there. Now, many historians about Andrew, uh, they say a couple things that I really can't prove either way or one way or another. Some historians say he was crucified on this type of cross because he didn't want to be crucified on the same kind of cross Jesus was. I mean, that um, was really here or there. But some of them say they didn't use nails. Instead of using nails, they used leather straps to bind him to the cross, which, again, I don't know. But what I do know is that according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, he died a cruel death for Jesus. An ordinary person. You know, this wasn't Simon Peter's brother or the Apostle Paul. An ordinary person died a violent death for Jesus. It wasn't just the apostles that we think of that have big names that were martyred for Christ. It was ordinary people. Even apostles, they weren't even, some of them weren't even apostles that were martyred for Christ. 
Andrew was an evangelist of God. He went around teaching the word. He may not have got it as famous as his brother, but he went and taught. He went, he went to where he could affect the most people. He did his job. He didn't complain about his job. He didn't complain about not being at the forefront of what Peter and Paul and some of the others were doing. He went and did his job. Do we do our jobs? Or do we always go, well, I want to be like him. I want to do that job. Or I want to be like this guy, and I want to do that job. Why don't we just do the jobs we already have? Every job is important to Christ. The Bible tells us that the kingdom is like a body. And without all the parts of the body, the body doesn't work right. You know, my great-granddad was a logger in Arkansas. And my dad was up there helping him one summer. They were cutting down trees. And he cut down a tree, and my dad was a little bit close to what my great-granddad wanted him to be. And he goes, son, if you're going to live in Arkansas, you're going to have to learn to get out of the way. Well, the very next piece of tree he cut off fell on his big toe, cut it off. And my dad told him, well, if you're going to live in Arkansas, you need to learn how to get out of the way. Because my dad was about 16 at the time, kind of a wise mouth. But the point is, he lost his big toe. He had to learn how to walk all over again. How often do we think about our big toes? Is that something you spend a whole lot of time thinking about? Is it like your heart where you're hoping, man, I hope it keeps beating? <laughs> no, it's just, just down there not really doing much. But it hurts when it's missing. Whenever you don't do your job. You know, I was working for a forklift company. And I called in a couple times, and they told me, you know, what do you think happens when you're not here? I go, well, I, I don't know. Somebody else has to pick up the slack. Somebody else has to do your job because you're not here to do it. And just like the body of Christ, somebody else is going to have to pick up that weight whenever you don't do your job for the body of Christ. Just like that job that you, well, I'm sick today, I can't go in. Somebody else is going to have to pick up that, pick up that part of the work. So we all need to be working. No matter how mundane we think the job is that we're called to do, no matter how without glamour or glitz we think it is, just do your job. Do the job that Jesus has given you. He can use ordinary people if you'll let him and stop worried about, oh, I'm not as great as him or I'm not as great as them. If you just... Quit focusing on that and do the job. Jesus will use you to do great things, I promise. It may not seem great to you, but it'll be great for his kingdom. You know, the end of Jimmy Valvano's speech there, he was talking about ordinary people and how God created so many of them. And he said he must really love them too because he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things every day if you'll let him use you. If you'll let him use the talents he gave you, you can do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. So what's some things we can learn from Andrew? <clears throat> he was an ordinary person. We pretty well figured that out. He was an ordinary man with ordinary talents. Which isn't a bad thing. He did not keep the good news to himself. The first time he saw the Messiah, the first thing he did is run and tell his family. Look what I found. And then he spread, spent the rest of his life 
teaching about that Messiah he found. He didn't keep it to himself. He didn't say. He did not use the fact that he was ordinary as an excuse. You remember how Moses used the fact that he couldn't speak well as an excuse to God? Andrew didn't do that. Andrew went and taught the best that he could and gave his talents to God the best that he could. And that's all Jesus asked of him. And finally, he did what he could for Christ. He did what he could. He didn't worry about what he couldn't do. He didn't worry about what other people were doing. He did what he could do. And my message to you this morning, are you doing what you can do? Are you using your talents the way God would have you to use your talents? Or are you worried about, well, I'm not as good, or I'm not as... You know what I believe the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems facing the churches today? We think we have professional evangelists, so we don't have to teach. I'm not as good as doing it as D. Till, Truman, Mike, Jerry. I'm not as good as teaching at those guys, so I'm just going to let those guys handle it. They can handle it. They got their job. They're doing it. Are you doing yours? Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't worry about they can maybe do it better than you. Don't worry about that. Do what you can do. And at the end of your journey, you'll hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom of your Lord for doing what you can do. If not, you'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Do what you can. For the church here, if you can do something for the church around the world, do it. But do what you can. And you'll be amazed at what Jesus and God can do through you. If you just do what you can. If you're not doing what you can, the best time to start is now. The best time to start is not whenever I've studied the Bible thoroughly enough to know that I can preach on every subject, every verse in the Bible, because that's never going to happen. The time to start doing what you can is now. And if we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?